we all missed out on a fantastic discussion of a news story that we're not going to cover in this episode. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Some crazy stuff going on around football. Uh, but we want Bug to be on that conversation. And he's not here today. He's still in the process of getting moved in. So, you know, we're going to save something. You know, something to look forward to next time. But this right here is episode 105 of the Big Dudes in the Trenches podcast. Me and Tug, you know how we do. We got plenty of news to discuss. And we're getting back to picking games for the NFL. I know we've been kind of lacking in NFL content as of late. But we have plenty for you today. Don't you worry your pretty little noggins. Plus, hey man, this is the end of our Heisman bracket. We are determining the number one Heisman winner of all time today. And and Doug, man, I have to clap this out for you. You took, what, 134 names? And you found a way to make sure that the release happens on the day that the 2021 Heisman is awarded. That is no small feat, man. Congratulations. you Excellent job there. That was a feat of planning that I was not sure that I was capable of. <laughs> but we did it, and we're here. <laughs> and congrats to Bryce Young, who's definitely going to win the Heisman today. Because, yeah. I love how you're trying to will this out of existence and jinx the shit out of it. I am not doing that. You're the one who believes in that kind of stuff. I believe that Bryce Young's going to win the Heisman. <laughs> That's what I believe in. It's and unfortunate, I believe but it is what it is. And I believe there's a transfer quarterback this year who's going to make more money than I ever will. But, like Doug said, that is for another time. Doug, how about we jump into the news? <laughs> so, starting off with some NFL news. I know it's been a while, but we have some interesting stuff to talk about. So, the Texans have waived linebacker Zach Cunningham. Led the league in tackles last year, signed a $58 million extension this past August. That's going to hurt him for cap space. But the Titans already picked him up off waivers same day. Pretty crazy. A great fit. I was actually, I wrote in the notes before they picked him up off waivers that Tennessee makes perfect sense to me. Maybe just stay in division. And then Tennessee did claim him. So perfect. The Texans will be hurting for cap space for a while. They are clearly rebuilding in a bad kind of way. Um, that's gonna that's gonna be that's gonna hurt next year. Uh, I'm actually pulling up the numbers now. If you just bear with me, don't they owe Deshaun Watson like twelve trillion dollars yes. next year? Yeah. Yes. So they're even just going into this offseason, they're showing thirty nine million in cap space. Zach Cunningham is taking up twelve mil. This this is just their their dead money for for next season. Zach Cunningham twelve point eight, uh, Whitney Merciless seven, Shaq Lawson five point two, Bradley Roby four point seven, Randall Cobb three point five, uh, Andre Roberts and Brandon Dunn for five hundred k each. John Reed at two forty seven, and then a bunch of other smaller guys. Well, They're and then totally... what's Deshaun Watson? Because that's basically dead money too. Yeah, Deshaun Watson base salary is 35 mil next year, and his guaranteed yeah. salary next year is 35 mil. He's going to take up 40 mil. Yeah. Um, nice. So adding that in, you're looking at $75.6 million in dead money for the Texans. Yeah. So that's unsustainable. Hopefully they can figure <laughs> that out at some point in the future. 
I will say, though, Texans ownership has to be cognizant of the situation, right? I doubt the GM and coach are going to get fired in the middle of any of this. I'm sure they're going to get like three, four years to dig themselves out of this hole that Bill O'Brien gave them. Oh, absolutely, man. At least I hope so. Especially in their, what, going into their second season, these guys are fine right now. But Zach Cunningham going to the Tennessee Titans, apparently some discipline issues were the reason for this cut. It wasn't performance-related. It was uh, didn't adhere to team rules. We'll see how that plays out for Tennessee. You know, based on COVID last year, maybe Tennessee's team rules were a little bit more lax than everybody else's. So, Yeah, hey, who knows? <laughs> Mike McCarthy... Called a shot. That was pretty fun. He said, hey, I'm coming back. I'm coming off the COVID list. And we are going to beat Washington football team this weekend. Now, all right. Dak loved it, understandably. Um, Jonathan Allen didn't like it, again, understandably. (laughs) Uh, What do you think, Doug? Do you like it? Dude, I, I love the move. I understand both sides, like you're saying. Both are very understandable. I love the move by Mike McCarthy. You're coming into the final stretch of the season, and you've got your division rival, who's also the really the only team left that can compete for the NFC East. You take him down here, you probably put that, that uh, division on lock. Absolutely love the move here by Mike McCarthy. I Provided of... they win. Yeah, right. That's kind of where I was going to end up going. You have to deliver if you say something like this. If you don't, you're going to get clowned forever. But, you know, I haven't heard Mike McCarthy do this before. It's the first time I can recall he's been in the news for anything like this. So that's good, you know. Get out there. Make a statement in support of your own team. That's that's acceptable. (laughs) Another interesting tidbit here. The NFL has appointed a new head of operations in Germany. They are gearing up to have a regular season game in Germany every year, starting as soon as next season. They've already narrowed it down to it's either going to be in Dusseldorf, Munich, or Frankfurt. Frankfurt. Uh, Why not Berlin? I don't know. Maybe they don't have a good stadium. But this guy, Alexander Steinforth, has been in multiple different soccer leagues over in Europe. Also worked for the Olympics as his most recent job before accepting this role with the NFL. So pretty experienced putting on big sporting events and pretty interesting. They're gearing up pretty hardcore now to get the NFL into Germany. All right. So why you're saying, Hey, why not? Why not Berlin? Uh, One of the main reasons is when you look at some of these uh, Frankfurt Munich specifically, they have two of the top um, German soccer teams in the Bundesliga. So that's that's one reason. Uh, Munich is always fantastic. Frank, uh, Frankfurt's not bad either. Uh, and then, if I'm not mistaken, I believe their newest Olympic stadium is also in Munich. Germany is struggling of what to do with those Olympic stadiums. This would be a fantastic option for, even if it is just, you know, once or twice a year or just, you know, 
sporadically like that, it's better than them collecting dust like they have been for a while. Um, it's the only couple things I can think of. They do have one in Berlin, but I don't think they want the one that was opened in 1936 to be their centerpiece um, for obvious reasons. <laughs> Multiple reasons, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> so that I, right. I'm guessing those are kind of the reasons there. Yeah, it makes sense. He will be reporting to the head of NFL Europe, which is still the term for the organization, even though you know the teams haven't existed for several years at this point. But uh, this that same guy is in charge of putting on the event in London every year. So kind of an interesting structure. I just find it fascinating. The NFL is going to Germany. Apparently there's enough interest there. Why there's not enough interest to have a game in Toronto every year? I mean, that would make a lot of sense, right? It's because a... Toronto's right across the border from Buffalo, man. We already basically have a game there. Yeah, but it's not in Toronto, right? And maybe you could get some other teams up there. Uh, maybe try to invest in Mexico a bit more. I know the stadium there is a little bit wonky, but... I mean, that would make more sense to me than going to Germany, but I don't, I'm not in charge of the NFL, so that's what it is. I, I, I really am starting to believe that they're trying to kick up NFL Europe, and they're just using the these options as your starting point for stirring uh, interest. If that happens, we will watch it, because that's what we do. I'm not looking that much forward to it, though. <laughs> <laughs> So we will know. If it's in the spring, we'll love it. True. Uh, We will know more about this in February, supposedly. Potentially nail down a city and maybe even a date for next season. If they're going to have a game in Germany next season. Don't even know that for sure yet. But around the Super Bowl. Around the time of the Super Bowl, we should get that announcement. The international games should be released usually those i believe are around april i believe i could be wrong um you're right but in the press conference announcing this hiring of this guy they said that they I, would announce this stuff in february and i what i'm saying is i would expect these specific teams to be if if this does happen next year i would be expecting the specific teams even the date um you know in april I'd expect the confirmation that it's happening in February, but specific teams and date in April. Fair enough. Also this week, we had the announcement of the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award finalists. Honestly, still our favorite award in the NFL. There is one for each team. And just like last year, I am going to read all of them off because this is an award worth talking about and worth celebrating. This is some real life shit. So it's not just about how you do on the field. Actually, it has nothing to do with how you do on the field. It's all about what you do for your community, how you you know, involve yourself in making everyone's lives better. And these guys make enough money that they can certainly make an impact. But some guys choose to go above and beyond, donate their own time, their energy. Well, and... go ahead. I was going to say, before you, get, before you get into the names, I do want to say we're not going to go off of what each of these guys done. The list is extensive for each right. of these guys. Their resumes right. for this award. Absolutely insane. If you guys want to see it, go to Walter Payton 
manoftheyearaward.com. I believe it's what it is. If not, it'll at least get you close. Uh, and it actually, it actually spells out for you exactly what they've done uh, this year and then in previous years as well. So this list is alphabetical order by team city, which I hate doing alphabetical order that way, but that's the way the NFL's website did it. So that's the way I'm going to do it in their announcement. You know, that's fine. I'll read it the way they had it written down. Um, for the Arizona Cardinals, offensive lineman Calvin Beecham. The Atlanta Falcons running back Mike Davis. Baltimore Ravens, offensive lineman Bradley Bozeman. Buffalo Bills defensive tackle Harrison Phillips. For the Carolina Panthers, wide receiver DJ Moore. For the Chicago Bears, tight end Jimmy Graham. The Cincinnati Bengals defensive end Sam Hubbard. The Cleveland Browns, cornerback Denzel Ward. I love that. The two Ohio teams have Ohio State guys. The Dallas Cowboys have quarterback Dak Prescott. Denver Broncos, safety Justin Simmons. The Detroit Lions, fullback Jason Gabinda. Green Bay Packers, running back Aaron Jones. The Houston Texans, safety Justin Reed. Indianapolis Colts cornerback Kenny Moore the second, Jacksonville Jaguars linebacker Miles Jack, Kansas City Chiefs safety Teran Matthew, Las Vegas Raiders tight end Darren Waller, L.A. Chargers offensive lineman Corey Lindsley, L.A. Rams offensive lineman Andrew Whitworth. Miami Dolphins linebacker Jerome Baker. Minnesota Vikings linebacker Anthony Barr. New England Patriots defensive lineman Lawrence Guy. New Orleans Saints defensive lineman Cameron Jordan. New York Giants defensive back Logan Ryan. New York Jets Quentin Williams defensive lineman. Uh, Philadelphia Eagles center Jason Kelsey. Pittsburgh Steelers, defensive end Cameron Hayward. San Francisco 49ers, defensive end Eric Armstead. Seattle Seahawks, wide receiver Tyler Lockett. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, wide receiver Mike Evans. Tennessee Titans, running back Derrick Henry. And Washington football team, defensive lineman Jonathan Allen. There's a couple things I love about this award. Number one is there are players on here like the Honey Badger, Tyron Matt, uh, Matthew, who you sit there and you think they're the toughest guys you ever met. But, man, they actually give back to the community. It's absolutely fantastic. And then little shout-out for my team here, Miami Dolphins with Jerome Baker. I absolutely enjoy seeing the dude who sits on the sidelines every week looking for his mama in the stands every single week. Uh, and, yes, I have – him mic'd up saying, hey, where my mom at uh, for an entire game? It's absolutely fantastic. I love everything about this. I love this award. And, and honestly, these are some of the most upstanding NFL players you guys will ever have the grace of watching play or if you're lucky enough, knowing one day. So I do want to shout out Ohio State because they have the most at five. Hey, it's all we have anymore. After losing the game. 
you know, I'll take it. Uh, can, Alabama. Can make, feel, can make you feel just a little bit better? Maybe. You know who has? You know who has none on this list? <laughs> there you go. All right, cool. <laughs> uh, the only other team with more than two is Alabama. So Ohio State and Alabama. I know they also are up there with the most players in the league in general. But at the same time, Ohio State has the most Walter Payton Man of the Year nominees. Makes me feel good inside. It really tells you about what that <laughs> what both of these programs are about because this takes more than, like you said, it takes more than talent on the field, which is what both of these programs are known for. These guys are actually giving back to the community, and it, it's fantastic. I mean, Derrick Henry's been injured for a large chunk of this year, and he's still on this list. So he's taking the time that he's not on the field and actually turning around and giving back to the community with it. Absolutely fantastic. And there are multiple repeat nominees on this list, too, which is pretty fantastic to see. You know, Corey Lindsley, for example, nominated for the Chargers this year, was nominated for the Packers the last two years. I mean, it's, it's crazy even changing teams. Everybody's recognizing these guys are pretty pretty stand-up guys, pretty involved in the community. Good to see. So one, one thing I haven't figured out, um, I'm assuming no because Russ isn't on here again. Are you able to win it twice, or is it once you win it, that's it? That is a fantastic question, and I do not know. All right, man, you ready to hop into some college news? Ready as I'll ever be. Oh, let's do it. (laughs) So, all right, we're going to start with a fun one, because... Of course we are. (laughs) Uh, The state senator for Oklahoma, one of the state senators for Oklahoma, Bill Coleman, has proposed a bill to rename three inches of the westbound lane on Highway 325 as Lincoln-Riley Highway. He says he found the tiniest section of our most desolate of highways to give the appropriate goodbye for such a sudden departure as Lincoln Riley is heading out of town. The last three inches one sees before leaving our great state heading west. This is amazing. I love everything about it, down to the part where Coleman has agreed to pay for the signage out of his own pocket. This is incredible. And there, I hope it there's, passes. A, there's a couple things I love about this. One, this absolutely has to be a small unit joke. Absolutely has to be. 100%. But it also takes a dig at Oklahoma State, who lost the Big 12 championship by about three inches. So you're saying that Lincoln Riley has a little dude in the trenches. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm saying. Oh, man. <laughs> Well, they don't have to deal with Lincoln Riley anymore. Um, Some other head coaching moves to talk about. So Fresno State lost their head coach to Washington. Uh, They have hired a new one, Jeff Tedford, as their new head coach. Most recently, Tedford was the head coach at Fresno State. He resigned for health reasons a couple years ago. And now he's back. So hopefully he's all right. And... We'll say he did pretty good at Fresno State last time. Not as good 
when he was in the Pac-12, but at Fresno State, he was pretty solid. So, should be a continuation of the success that they have seen. You know, DeBoer was an internal promotion after Tedford resigned. So, to get Tedford back, it feels very much like just a continuity from the last time he was there. And and this is very different from when Urban Meyer stepped away for health reasons and then took up Ohio State and then stepped away for health reasons and then went to Jacksonville, right. uh, where he's probably going to step down for health reasons here soon enough. Uh, this is different because I think he actually took the time to sit there and get healthy and, and just take care of himself for that those two years that they were there or, or that he was out. And you're right, it's absolutely continuity. It's absolutely fantastic. It's great for the program because now not much is going to change with it. So then a couple of coordinator moves wanted to talk about because, you know, big-time coordinator moves worth mentioning. First you are up, excited about this first one. Very excited. Very excited. Something seriously needed to happen to change Ohio State's defense. It was the problem on the team. You know, obviously, you have the number one offense in the country and you lose two games. The only reason could be that your defense wasn't up to par. So who do they bring in? But Oklahoma State's defensive coordinator, Jim Knowles, has accepted the same title at Ohio State. He will take over after Oklahoma State's bowl game. And first of all, good move on Jim Knowles' part there. Second of all, thank goodness, because, man, he put together a fantastic defense with almost no, like, high-level recruited talent. There were zero five or four stars on that Oklahoma State defense. And yet they were arguably one of the top three defenses in the country. You take out everyone knew Georgia's defense was dominant all regular season. Wisconsin's was unbelievable as well. Then who do you put number three? Probably Oklahoma State. That's how good this defense was. And that's in the Big 12. So we'll see how he can transition to the Big 10. But at the same time, I'm very excited. Yes. When is Oklahoma State's bowl game? Uh, it, they're in a New Year's Six Bowl, right? So I don't know, because Baylor took that spot. True. They are. They're playing. Okay, never mind. They're playing Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl. Okay. So I was going to get. Great, but I, yeah. I was going to get real excited if Jim Knowles was going to be able to coach two bowl games, like basically back to back, but no, he can't. No, he's no, it was in the announcement. He's coming to Ohio state on January two. So all good there. Um, What do you think about the hire though? I think this is amazing. This is perfect. I don't know it as intimately as you do. Like you said, Oklahoma State clearly had the best defense in the Big 12. That is really not a high bar to make, but when you put it into perspective with the rest of the country, they were competitive. Um, In all of the big games is when Spencer Sanders threw all of his interceptions. And somehow... They were still really close games. And they were able to pull out all but one of them. That is 100% a defensive stand. That's a Jim Knowles thing. Now you're giving him talent at the level that Ohio State can recruit. I have no worries moving forward. Immediately 
immediately when that hire was announced, a five-star safety reclassified for 2023 is coming in this season. <laughs> Sonny Styles. Jesus. So looking forward to a pretty good defense in the future for Ohio State. I'm, I'm holding out hope. Uh, Ole Miss offensive coordinator Jeff Levy is headed to Oklahoma in the same role. Again, offensive coordinator. Time to find out if that Ole Miss offense was Jeff Levy or Lane Kiffin. Everyone was kind of assuming it was Lane Kiffin because of the name and because of you know, the charisma. But they still had an offensive coordinator there. Jeff Levy is headed out to be the offensive mind for Brent Venables, who you'll have to assume is going to take the reins on defense mostly as a longtime defensive coordinator. But Old Miss's offense was pretty fantastic this season. I'm sure it was a combination effort of some sort. But let's see which one was the real driver here. Lane Kiffin, Jeff Levy. That's going to be an interesting discussion coming out of this hire. And there is an argument that it was a little bit of both. Again, Jeff Levy's going to come to Oklahoma. They have a ton of talent there on offense. Should be an easy transition if he can scheme a game plan. That's really where this comes down to, is who was driving that game plan. Um, and that can go either way for me. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. So you're right. That's, that's what we're going to find out. A really interesting move here. Pittsburgh's offensive coordinator, Mark Whipple, resigns from his job. The same day, accepts the offensive coordinator job at Nebraska. So why he resigned first is still kind of a question mark for me. He kind of made it sound like he was almost retiring. I thought he was saying with this, you know, Kenny Pickett was like, that's my masterpiece, man. I can't do any better than that. But then he just turns around and goes to Nebraska. You're not going to be able to do that with Adrian Martinez, dude. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> I thought Adrian Martinez was out. Uh, I'm making a, an example. I don't know Sorry. what's going to happen at Nebraska's quarterback room. I don't care about Nebraska most of the time. <laughs> but <laughs> this move was too funny not to talk about. Yeah, dude, this is it's interesting because it just it feels petty. It, it, right. Why would you resign? The only answer is to stick it to your old school. I don't know why, but that's clearly <laughs> what was happening. Wild. <laughs> you got to think they're going to be in a, in a New Year's Six Bowl, too. They're ACC champions. So resigning, I guess, got him out of coaching the bowl game. Kind of yeah. kind of sus. <laughs> um, Oregon is losing their last remaining coordinator. If you'll remember, their head coach and offensive coordinator went to Miami. Defensive coordinator Tim DeRoyter is now headed to Texas Tech to be their defensive coordinator. The secondary coach is going with them. So essentially, Oregon's losing everyone. They're going to have to start completely over, which is probably not all that dissimilar to what would have happened anyway. Bring in a new coach. You're only going to keep one or two guys on the old staff anyway, at most. So I do understand what's happening here. It's just wild to see after what everyone thought was going to be an extremely successful season for Oregon ends up being okay, moderately successful, and then just everyone leaves. This makes that job that much more interesting, though, for me, uh, for the head coaching job at Oregon, 
because now you can legitimately tell who, whichever head coach you're bringing in. Hey, dude, I got a clean, clean slate. Bring okay. in your guys, which is very enticing for most head coaches, uh, new, especially new head coaches. First-time head coaches will love to bring in their, their friends and guys they work well with to establish a scheme that works for that team. Oregon's not the kind of program that hires first-time head coaches regularly, though, anymore, at least. They are targeting Chip Kelly, which that reunion would be fascinating for multiple reasons. He has had some success at UCLA, though. They've been doing better, and, you know, I kind of see it. <laughs> I know you're wanting Coach O to the O. We, we, we are always talking about, no, 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 Coach O can't go to Oregon. That he, Nobody will understand him. Nobody would understand him in Oklahoma, either. Nobody they, understands they, him outside of a five-mile radius in Baton Rouge. There's some people in Oklahoma that would because they left Louisiana for one reason or another. Um, that being said, we always talk about how it's bad that the Power Five coaches from the Group of Five, but this is just weird to me to see the Power Five coaching from the Power Five. Like I don't, I don't know how I feel about this. You know, you get a raise, you get to go back home. I would do it too. I understand what Mario Cristobal was doing. That's all right. And, you know, Oregon is a more high-profile job than UCLA at this point in time. There was certainly a decade or three where that wasn't the case. But Oregon has been on the rise for quite a while now. Chip Kelly was a big part of that, too. So bringing him back does make a lot of sense in that that way. And Oregon really hasn't found the same success since Chip Kelly left. They've been there but they haven't been the dominant force that they were when they had Chip Kelly and Marcus Mariota. I don't know. Right after Chip Kelly left, they lost another national championship. I mean, they've kind of been in that conversation, right? They lost to Auburn in the BCS system with Chip Kelly. They lost to Ohio State without Chip Kelly in the first ever playoff. And they've always kind of been in that conversation. But it's more... To me, it's more of a Pac-12 issue than an Oregon issue. I mean, there have been years where Oregon's a one-loss Pac-12 champ, and they don't even get in the same breath as the other conference champions because of how bad most of that conference is. I kept telling you this, and you kept trying to sell me and Ben on the Pac-12. And I'm still telling you, it's fun to watch, just like Maction, dude. You get Tuesday night Maction. It's terrible football but they make it enjoyable somehow. It's worth it. And then and then you get late Saturday night action. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Memphis is losing yeah. their defensive coordinator. That one's for Bug. You know, shout out our third co-host. Um, this isn't really a coordinator move, though. Mike McIntyre is now the head coach at Florida International. Pretty incredible. He went from essentially coach of the year at Colorado to three consecutive five win seasons at Colorado, which got him fired, of course, because, you know, you don't go from winning your division to not making a bowl game and then just keep your job. That's not how that works in college football. So he goes to Memphis as their defensive coordinator and he gets another head coaching shot with, (laughs) according to Butch Davis, a terrible program. Good luck. 
All I can say is listening to Ben, you know, talk about the Memphis fan pages this year. They are absolutely losing their collective minds in joy right now. Or sadness or both. I mean, it depends on the Memphis fan. You're right. It is currently in odd minutes, so they're losing their minds in joy. And in 50 seconds, they'll be losing their minds in complete sadness. Yeah. Hey, FIU also got a new athletic director. Pretty interesting. So it sounds like maybe they were cleaning house a little bit. Need to just start over. They were able to pull UCF's athletic director. Scott Carr went from UCF to Florida International. That is amazing to me. Almost speaks to UCF wanting to move on. Maybe to find a new guy to lead them into the Big 12. Almost feels like, you know, the last guy they had, who is now at Tennessee, he was the real orchestrator behind the potential move to the Big 12. Scott Carr was kind of a fill-in until they could get somebody who they really wanted here. This next hire is going to be very important for UCF. It's going to be pretty fascinating to watch. I'm expecting a lot of these programs to start making these changes. Uh, Houston, I would expect a new AD soon. Cincinnati, not so much because they've oh, been right. very successful, um, clearly. Uh, but UCF, I'm expect uh, we're obviously getting a new AD. Houston, I would be expecting a new AD. You you need somebody that can bring you into those markets and right. make a statement early, uh, not just in football. This is, goes beyond the football field, but for the athletic program as a whole. I do understand that. At the same time feels wild that UCF's sitting athletic director just takes a demotion, essentially, to Florida International. It feels like a demotion. It's actually a bigger school in some regards. Isn't UCF the largest school in the country, though? If I use, like, uh, number three. I, I think so. It's wild. These schools are massive down in Florida. Have, have you seen the contract? I have not seen the contract. He might have gotten a pay that, raise. That's possible. That's. I don't care how. You mean to tell me I have less expectations on being paid more? Thank you. <laughs> right. Right. I also can't imagine FIU doing that. But, you know, anything's possible. But that's not our last bit of athletic director news because, man. <laughs> All right, I Two start, big moves here. Yeah. I want to start with Louisville because Louisville is kind of falling apart at the moment. And this is really kind of hilarious to me, how this all transpired. This has essentially been a week in the making. But Athletic Director Vince Tyra (laughs) has had some issues with the administration at the University of Louisville. Apparently, President Neely Bendabuti has just been, like, obstructing everything he wants to do for the Athletic Department refocusing the university on research dollars and you know i get that to an extent and they are in a good position with that kind of thing which is why dr ben Debuti is now the president at penn state which also happened this week but this fallout was too irreparable um it was too wide of a gap to bridge at that point. Vince Tyra was already headed out the door. 
So Vince Tyra is now going to Florida State, staying in conference. Pretty wild to me. I don't know what success he has had that makes Florida State think he'll be a good athletic director for them. At the same time, maybe he was a really good interview and was laying out his plans for Louisville football and saying, you know, this is what the goal was. The administration blocked it every step of the way. Give me some free reign and I can make things work. There is a solid rumor that Vince Tyra offered a contract to Purdue's head coach, Jeff Brom, to come back home. He's from Louisville. He played quarterback at Louisville, started his coaching career at the University of Louisville, right? So Jeff Brom coming back to Louisville as head coach would have made a ton of sense two years ago. Apparently that contract was nixed by the president of the university. That is not the way to do things if you want a successful football team. They got Scott Satterfield now. He's the last one left. It's really hilarious to me. This is like the last guy you have left in that tower of power at, over football is the guy that nobody wanted. No, nobody in the university really wanted Scott Satterfield. The fans didn't want him when he came in. And the players have, we've talked about it in the past. There were some situations the players were starting to turn against him in the locker room even. This is a real mess for Louisville, almost on par with the whole Bobby Petrino situations. This is reparable now, though, now that the two heads above Satterfield are gone. Tells me that he his seat is about as hot in the ACC as it can get without actually being fired. Um, yeah, but you have to imagine whoever comes in is going to want their guy. Well, it, it, but even beside that, right? What this is for Louisville to Louisville, I'm sorry, Louisville to recover this. They need a president who's going to support both sides of this, understanding what the athletic department can do for the school as a whole and academics, realistically. And then you need an AD who's willing to put in the dirty work to get deals done, to bring guys like Jeff Brom home, to bring in what the program needs at this point. Man, it's just wild to me that one president and athletic director ago, you had the Sugar Bowl, and you had you know, the national championship in basketball, you had baseball was in the College World Series. You had women's volleyball winning titles. You had soccer being so successful out of nowhere that they got a new stadium donated. I mean, <laughs> the next president and athletic director combo feels like everything's falling apart. The, the new president needs to bring in his AD, somebody that he works well with, somebody that he knows well. <clears throat> and, yeah. and you guys can go from there. Yeah. I honestly don't care too much. It's going to be fun to, for me to watch. I know yeah. they're my alma mater, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's what it is. Uh, but there's another move inside the conference, inside the ACC, that's maybe even bigger. Actually, it is bigger. The Louisville situation was just more fun to talk about. So <laughs> Clemson's athletic director is going back home to Miami. He was from Miami, graduated from Miami, started his career at the U. Makes sense. 
but man, he's been the athletic director at Clemson for like nine years now, right? Oversaw basically every bit of Clemson's rise to prominence, and now is heading to the U. Pretty incredible. Now, I believe this deal is official. I've heard it, it both is. ways today. No, th- this is absolutely official at this point. Okay. I was actually going to ask you this if if I was the one who confirmed that to you. Again, with my my links on Twitter to all the Miami Beat reporters for pretty much everything, um, th- this the deal has been accepted. I don't think it's been officially announced. I don't think he's been officially introduced as the new athletic director, but this yeah. this is happening. Uh, we were talking about this earlier this week that, hey, this was probably coming. And it, it makes a lot of sense for both sides. And I've always it's heard hard. the pronounce's name Radakovich. Is there – am I wrong? I have no idea. Okay. I, Twitter does not give me pronunciations. <laughs> Fair. Um, that being said, yeah, it's hard to leave Clemson, but really what more can he do there, right? The, he brought their football team back to prominence, which is they are a football school. They're not in a bad spot, but Miami needs that. Miami needs that recovery, right? Right. And and, you know, and it helps too, you know, going back home. If you can bring the hometown team to prominence again, that's always going to be a draw. I don't care who you are. It, well, and then like we were just talking about, it's really key to bring in somebody that you work well with. Um, right. I don't. I don't know when Radakovich was at Miami, but I would have to think that it had to be about the same time that Mario Cristobal was there. I'm sure they crossed paths a couple times. Um, this is an absolute home run of a first, you know, off season week for Miami as a whole. This is absolutely fantastic for them moving forward. It's going to take a few years, don't get me wrong, but this is absolutely stellar for the Hurricanes in that sense. I would say Cristobal was a home run. This makes it a grand slam, honestly. Absolutely. Pretty amazing what they were able to do. It does kind of suck for Matty Diaz because they were negotiating all these deals right behind his back. Again, he had to know he was getting fired. Right. Right. I knew he was getting fired four weeks ago. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's there's ignoring the the media, and then there's just being blind to everything going on around you. Right, right. Like they, I Miami's in there measure like the, their maintenance guys are in there measuring out a new desk, and he's just confused. Like, dude, come on, this is not for you. <laughs> Wait, we're changing the color of the carpets, but I like this color. Yeah, new guy doesn't. One new guy. Oh, don't worry about it. Yeah. No, we got we got another game. What are you talking about? Uh, the university. Brings. I have I have another season. Yeah. Man. <laughs> All right, that's enough coaching and oh, administrative. Are we moving news. on to college free agency? Yeah, we're gonna talk about we're talk about the transfer portal a little bit. So, all right, there's a huge story going on with the transfer portal. That would be Quinn Ewers. We're not talking about Quinn Ewers today. We're going to save that conversation for Bug because there's some crazy stuff that all three of us would want to get into with that. The one we are going to talk about today is Cameron Ward. So if you've been listening to the podcast for a while now, you know that Cameron Ward is my dude. I absolutely love watching this guy play. 6'3", 225, 
can throw the ball like nobody's business. Also run a little bit, but he's mainly a passing quarterback, throw pocket kind of guy. It's fantastic. I love it. He's prototypical size. Everything about him is amazing. Would you the say FCS, Patrick Mahomes ass? I would say I don't do comparisons like that usually, so I haven't thought about that before. That's valid. Um, but the FCS agrees with me that he's pretty fantastic. He won Freshman of the Year last year, the Jerry Rice Award. He was also one of basically three finalists, three real finalists for the FCS Heisman this year. Um, along with Cole Kelly and Eric Barrier. So, one of those three monsters of the FCS is leaving the FCS, and that is Cameron Ward, going to the transfer portal. He, the reason he's going to the transfer portal is that his head coach, Eric Morris, took the job at Washington State as their offensive coordinator. Makes sense. You have some uncertainty around Incarnate Word. You also have the stats to prove that you can do better than playing for Incarnate Word. Makes perfect sense to move on right now. Totally understand it. He is from Texas. Incarnate Word is in Texas. He has said publicly he's not too concerned about staying in Texas. He's looking more for a scheme fit. Again, perfectly reasonable. Where do you find the scheme fit for him? So as of today, when he entered the portal, looking at a 24-7 sports article, they were saying teams that have already contacted him, we're talking about Liberty, Houston, North Texas, Texas State, there will be some Power 5 offers as well. I'm sure of it. Cameron Ward is too good not to have that. And by the way, those four offers already, that was within like 20 minutes of him entering his name in the portal. So, there will be some movement here. Cameron Ward is a fantastic quarterback. Wherever he goes, this is going to be insane. I already told you the fit I like a lot right now. I, I If you're talking Power 5, Oklahoma State makes a lot of sense to me, but that's because I think they need away from Spencer Sanders. But the one I like, you have a new coach going back home, looking to revitalize the program. They do have some weapons there. And I'm not talking about Tate Martell. Um, he, he is not considered a weapon in my books. <laughs> I, but I am talking about the U. Um, I think he could run Mario Cristobal's offense fairly well. I think he'd be successful there. Um, either way, I think whoever lands him, again, we're talking home runs versus grand slams. It's a grand slam. I personally, if he finds that scheme fit the way he wants to, would not be surprised if he ends up on the with an invite to the Heisman uh, presentation next year. I mean, maybe not next year. Maybe give him a year to make the transition. But no, no, yeah. I said what I said. I'm gonna stick by my prediction. All right, all right. I, I appreciate it. I did go to cam7ward.com and bought some merch today. So <laughs> this logo is not bad. I'm not gonna lie. um but yeah very much looking forward to where he goes so again i did mention 24 7 sports they do a rating of every transfer there are four quarterbacks rated 90 plus on a scale of 100 by 24 7 this year cameron ward is one of them 
Quinn Ewers is, of course, another one of them. Uh, Spencer Rattler is up there, and Dylan Gabriel is up there. So those are the four huge names to watch out for at quarterback in the transfer portal this offseason so far. Pretty, pretty insane. College free agency is right. Yeah, dude, it's it's absolutely nuts right now. One last bit of college news. We talked about the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. The closest thing there is for college, I think the most rational award to talk about in that same vein, would be the Williams v. Campbell Trophy. For the top scholar athlete, it takes into account a combination of your in-classroom success and your on-field success. The winner of this year's Williams v. Campbell Trophy is Iowa State's tight end, Charlie Kohler who put up 723 yards and five touchdowns as a tight end. Pretty solid season. And a quote-unquote near 4.0 in mechanical engineering. I don't know what near 4.0 means. Maybe he got 1B in there somewhere at some point in his career. (laughs) Understandable. But, yeah, Charlie Kohler, fantastic. Love to see it. And in mechanical engineering, too. You know, engineering plus football, that's difficult to pull off. Most of those guys, you know, <laughs> that's usually not a pathway to great football on-field success. So for him to be able to be, do both very successfully or at a very high level, pretty incredible. Uh, looking forward to bright things in this man's future. No, absolutely, man. Absolutely fantastic. Absolutely stellar scholar there. I'm excited to see what he does. I do expect he will go in the draft, probably a day three pick somewhere. But he has some receiving tight end ability. We'll see see what happens. Maybe the Bears get him. <laughs> probably. It'd be where I'd put my bet. But that does it for the news. Woo, that was a long one. It was a long one. It's getting some games. So, hey, college game preview is going to be pretty short this week because there's only one game in the FBS this week. It is Army-Navy week. Our second place in the uh, rivalries bracket that we did a long time ago, Commander-in-Chief's Trophy. This is the final leg of that every single season, week 15, Army and Navy. Pretty interesting stats on this one before you get going here. Just a couple of things to shout out. Navy does lead the all-time series, 61-53, to and seven ties. This will be the 122nd meeting then between these two schools. The game is usually played in Philadelphia, though they have been mixing in a little bit of Maryland every now and then for the past couple of seasons. Um, This year, they're going back to East Rutherford. This is the first game at the Meadowlands since 2002, and the first game at the Meadowlands since it has been called MetLife. So, pretty awesome to see. Huge event every year. This year gets to be even bigger at MetLife Stadium. So, there's a couple things here with this game that I want to highlight. Number one, there's a reason it's at MetLife this year. Um, And there's a reason it was at the Meadowlands in 2002. It's the 20th anniversary of 9-11. They couldn't move the game that first year, short notice, you know, not going to happen. So, the second year... On the one-year anniversary of it, they kind of put it in there. Uh, This year on the 20th, they're going back. Absolutely fantastic move 
also, this is a game for the all-uniforms goal. Like, if, if I'm being completely <laughs> honest, both teams have insane uniforms. Navy shouting out Naval Aviation. In other words, they want to be Air Force um, because those uniforms scream Air Force. And the Army is actually using uniforms that are um, inspired Dope by... <laughs> well, inspired by the uniforms they wore on the initial invasion of the, uh, in the Middle East back in uh, the early 2000s. Fantastic uniforms on both sides. Absolutely stellar looking. I'm excited for this one. I'm going to get us into our picks here just to, to make it easy. Um, but I'm going to highlight this with some betting, uh, probably poor advice. Uh, so uh, if I were a betting man, I'd be taking the under in this game. They have not broken the over-under. Uh, in 16 seasons, it sits at 34.5, so you are expecting a low-scoring game in this one. That should be no surprise to anybody involved. Right. That being said, Army is seven-point favorites, and I would take Army on the... I would take Army with the spread. Uh, I don't think Navy has it this year. Something just is not clicking for them. They're in that transition period that all of the service academies go through about every four or five years. It's just, it's just one of those years, guys. I'm taking Army on this one. Yeah, we all are. Bug picked this one as well. Said, go Army, beat Navy. And, uh, yeah, I would say this is probably about a 17-10 to 10 kind of game. You know, low scoring. Have, Everyone's going to be running the ball all over the place. But should be fun to watch. It, it, this annoys me to have to shout this out for everybody who's listening. Guys, you beat Army. You sink Navy. Okay. This... West Point says beat Navy. West Point is wrong. Okay. You beat Army, you sink Navy. This annoys me when West Point does it. This annoys me all of the time. I'm sorry. It's just, it's a thing for me. I don't know why. Just sink Navy makes too much sense. I mean, okay. You guys, it's the Air Force, though. You know, you're supposed to make more sense than the Army. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so that's our one game this week we're all taking army but you know it's a rivalry game anything can happen throw out the records kind of a deal right every year everyone's yep. gonna be running the ball for a ton of yards and we may end up in a huge slugfest which is our kind of game so absolutely gonna be now, one to watch this one the last thing i have to add to this is unfortunately the commander chief's trophy is not on the line it has already been decided uh, even if Navy wins this, the trophy is being retained by Army because then all the service academies would have gone one, one, and one, and it just stays with whoever had it last. Right. I liked it back in the mid '90s where they shared the trophy because it that makes more sense than now. Uh, you just get to keep it, um, despite the fact that I absolutely despise ties with every ounce of my being. But that being said, still gonna be a good game. Still worth the watch. It's going to be fun. There is other college football happening this week, though, down at the FCS level. We have four playoff games to watch out for here. Three of them are expected to be pretty dang close. Montana at James Madison. South Dakota State at Villanova. Montana State at Sam Houston are all about seven-point spreads. Then you have East Tennessee State. Jesus. Fargo Dome, where North Dakota State is a 26-point favorite. <laughs> With an over-under of 49. Yeah. 
I can't do yeah. implied point calculations like some people can just looking at it, but God damn. No, they're expecting if if that played out exactly, it'd be like a thirty two to eleven. Or what, thirty seven, thirty eight to eleven? Ah. Yeah. That's Yeah, so implied points for ETSU is eleven on the day. Yeah. Not good. No. Right? Would not agree good. not good. <laughs> but we'll see how it goes. ETSU's been pulling out weird upsets all year, so We'll see. Not, not even going to lie. The craziest thing about this is not only is this the widest spread, it also has the highest over-under. By one point. You are correct. By half a half, point, actually. By half a point, yeah. Yes. Uh, the lowest over-under is 45 and a half, so they're all expected to be pretty decent games, actually. Which makes sense. You know, this is, we're getting down to the wire on the playoff. And, man, the FCS playoffs are so much better than the FBS playoffs. It is what it is. It is what it is. Let's go ahead and jump to the NFL uh, because we've been neglecting it, but we're not not doing that anymore. We have a couple of games to talk about, a couple of picks to make, a couple of players to watch, and I'm going to take Bugs' game to watch, then let Tug do one, and I'll have my game to watch, and then let Tug do another one. Remember last week he was out on that episode, so he has to make up a, a couple of picks here. We're not going to be picking Tug's games, essentially. Tug gets to pick those on his own. But Bugs game to watch is Cowboys at Washington football team. We already talked about this a little bit up in the news segment because of what Mike McCarthy's saying, spitting his nonsense. Yeah, it should be pretty a fantastic game. Looking forward to this one for sure. The These two teams will play again in just a couple of weeks. So really, this stretch here will decide the division. Starts here. If the Cowboys can pull it out, they have to win at least one of these. And you'd figure winning in Landover would make a huge difference. Should be a pretty exciting game to watch. Absolutely, man. All right, I'm going to go with an AFC North matchup for my first pick here. I've got the Ravens going to Cleveland to take on the Browns. Guys, I don't know what to expect out of this game. Both of these teams have been hot and cold. It's weird, man. You know, the Ravens keep the lines close and then drop one against Miami. The Browns are at 500. They've been that hot and cold all year. This is going to have huge implications for the AFC North. Really, this could give the Bengals team a large lead on that AFC North uh, over over these two, depending on how it goes out. It's And this is always a fun game to watch. We talk about rivalries. There is no one I think the fans of Cleveland hate more than the Ravens because of that, you know, overnight leaving. Um, Weird how that would leave a scar. So right? strange. So it's, oh, I've, and Cleveland didn't even sue the city uh, or didn't even sue the Baltimore Ravens over that. I mean, at least they took it like the punch of the mouth that it was, unlike St. Louis, who still hasn't let it go. Well, the Ravens willingly gave up the Browns logo and history and stuff. So maybe that's what St. Louis is after. With the Steelers losing as bad as they are, you have to figure this game is even more important. You know, Thursday night football is still going on as we're recording this, by the way. Uh, but my game to watch this week, 49ers at Bengals. 
again, talking about how the Bengals could take control of the division. The 49ers are quietly sneaking back into the playoff conversation, though. Remember back in the preseason, I had predicted that basically all of the NFC West teams were going to be in that conversation, if not in the playoffs. This is a game where the 49ers have to start winning, right? The Bengals have been certainly above expectation to this point. And yet, just like every other AFC North team, they've had some pretty disappointing games. They can't afford to have a disappointing game against the 49ers with how they're playing down the stretch here lately. Yeah, man, that's it's going to be interesting because both of these teams really haven't been playing well of late. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this game turns out. And now my final game, I'm going to take the low hanging fruit here. I'm sorry. You've got Josh Allen taking on the uh, evil emperor himself and Tom Brady. The Bills are traveling down to Tampa Bay to take on the Bucks. This is going to be a high flying game. Uh, I'm interested in this one. Um, With that, dude, I'm going to jump us right on into our picks. I'm going to go with the quadruple Bs here. I'm going to go with uh, Dan Boyce. Uh, the Bengals, the Browns, and the Bucks. Interesting. Kind of understandable, but also you. Uh, Bug agrees with you. He's going with the Cowboys and the Bengals. And I'm going the exact opposite. I'm going Washington football team and 49ers. Mostly because why not? I'm so far behind. This is my only chance of catching up. I, I can pull two games closer to Ben here. Um, in, in this matchup, but uh, we shall see. So let's talk about our players to watch. Again, I'll go Bug, Doug, then me. Uh, Bug had Tony Pollard. Pretty interesting pick here. He's not the starter, but he's certainly been playing like he deserves a shot to be one. It would make perfect sense for the Cowboys to move on from one of their running backs. And their contract situation kind of makes it hard to move on from Zeke. So Tony Pollard should be hitting the open market pretty soon, I would imagine. And he should be pretty highly sought after, especially after the season he's been putting up so far. If he can keep that up, man, Cowboys have a pretty hard-to-stop offense, <laughs> I will I will admit. Yeah, dude, that's... We always talk about constantly about how most running back rooms now are two running back systems. I'm almost waiting for the NFL to go uh, on their depth charts the way they do in uh, with receivers and have, you know, your wide receiver one, your wide receiver two. Not as like, hey, depth chart level, but like, hey, this is my RB1, my, the first guy filling the RB position, and then the second guy filling the RB position because we're committing it. Really opens your eyes realistically on the Cowboys, I would consider both Zeke and Tony Pollard starters at this point. And who's your player to watch? Probably Mr. MVP, right? Yeah, that's what some people are calling him right now. Uh, some people are calling him Mr. Goat. Some people call him World War One veteran Tom Brady. Um, man, this guy is ageless. And it is another opportunity for him to have a big game against teams that he plays well against. Um, oh, my favorite meme from this last week was he's beaten them so many times they're named after him. Talking about the Bills be losing to Bill Belichick yet again. 
And that's kind of the same story with Tom Brady. They just cannot figure him out. They have a top-end secondary this year. They have a solid pass rush. This team is nothing to slouch over. But Tom Brady is a different animal. It doesn't matter what receivers are on the field for him. He is going to find them as long as they get half a yard of separation, and he's going to make plays. So when I'm looking at this game, I really am looking at Tom Brady versus this Bills secondary. I'm expecting them to make some plays, but can they really hold him back uh, and make him honestly play in a losing game script? That's that's where it gets dangerous for, for Tom Brady and the Bucks. It's not like Tom Brady is unbeatable, but when he feels like he needs to pull it out, he always seems to find a way to do so. so and, and this is a situation getting late in the season with that right. first round bye on the line. It, Yeah. Right, this game matters, and so Tom Brady's probably going to win it. <laughs> That's just how that goes. Uh, I'm picking a defensive guy because, you know, I can't stand three offensive guys in a row, I guess, apparently. Uh, Jordan Brooks, linebacker for the Seattle Seahawks. Surprise first-round pick when he was taken. You know, I don't think anybody thought of him as more than a third-rounder at the time. He's turning out to not be so much of a bust anymore. Man, what a breakout season for him. In the top five in tackles, uh, really doing well in his linebacker role now, now that it's solidified, and he's the actual starter for sure in Seattle. So this week against the Texans, a bad offense should have some opportunities to perform. Looking forward to see what he, what he can do. I haven't really seen much of him this season, and yet I know he's having a pretty fantastic one. So I want to see some of it. This is a great opportunity for that against a bad offense. No, nah, it's fair, man. And, and the Seahawks need something to go their way right about now. They take literally anything. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> hey, all I'm saying is the Texans started Miami's winning streak. So Congratulations, I guess. Maybe they kickstart Seattle's. All right. I did not know where you were going there. I thought you were just bragging about Miami being on a winning nope. streak. Nope. <laughs> All right. Well, that does it for our games to watch this upcoming weekend. Um, that just leaves us with bracket time, man. You ready for it? I'm ready for it. Let me kick us off here by laying it down, guys. We are on our not quite final four. And we have a monstrous matchup in front of us. We got a little bit of help from Twitter, uh, who said that uh, Joe Burrow won. But then Instagram said, hey, hold your horses. And Barry Sanders won. And guys, when I tell you they won, they won by the same number of votes. So Joe, uh, Joe Burrow won Twitter by two votes. Barry Sanders won Instagram by two votes, leaving us with a very fun decision of deciding between Barry Sanders and Joe Burrow for number one overall. Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson are no longer in this conversation for greatest Heisman winner overall. Before we get into that final setup, Doug, do you have an opinion on number four? Who are you going with for number four? Number four, it has to be between Baker and Lamar, right? Um, just because of the way the voting worked out, Barry Sanders and Joe Burrow are number one and number two. I'm okay with that. <laughs> My number four is one of Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson anyway. Um, I would say, based on the story of the season, 
and the hype around him and everything, you know, Baker Mayfield's season and Heisman Trophy winning, just the fact that he won it all is truly incredible. Now that has carried him all the way into our final round here. I don't know if it should hold up against just the insane athlete and the type of season that Lamar Jackson had. Because, man, what a wild season. They didn't win all their games, and yet everyone recognized Lamar Jackson is the only reason they won any games. (laughs) This dude was running all over the field, and he was making all sorts of crazy throws. Didn't even look like he was a throwing quarterback. There was legitimate reason to watch him play and still believe he couldn't play quarterback. He almost never set his feet correctly. He threw with a wonky motion. He had a terrible release time. And yet he was completing throws that looked impossible. Consistently throwing very few interceptions and running over everybody. It was amazing to watch. I haven't seen that style of play. I mean, people talk about him in the same vein as Michael Vick. It's it's not the same. It's really not. It's a different style. And uh, he's better than Baker Mayfield. So I'm going to say Lamar 3, Baker Mayfield 4. I'm going to agree with you. you. You said the big thing for me, right? Typically, when you look at the most recent Heisman winners, that is, uh, which three of our final four actually are, typically, a lot of these guys are accompanied by 11 you know, 12 win seasons, even 10, it might be the lowest that I've seen. Lamar Jackson's team went eight and four before the bowl game. Like that's absolutely insane. So he was legitimately, like you said, they won a bunch of games, but everyone knew he was the reason they won a bunch of games. Uh, Talking to Ben, he was okay putting Lamar Jackson three, Baker Mayfield four. This might be a rare occurrence here where we all just happen to agree for like the first time ever. But now the fun part begins. I know where my vote is. I know where Ben's vote is. Doug, where where are you sitting with your number one overall Heisman Trophy winner of all time? Yeah, I know where my vote is, too. Here's the craziest part, though, is both of these guys had absolute record-breaking seasons. Every record you can think of for their position, they broke it and still have it. Now, Joe Burrow, that last part isn't too hard to understand. You know, he only set the records a couple of years ago. But Barry Sanders has been holding these records since the 80s. And there's a reason for that, right? I mean, this guy is, ooh, he's the definition of a freak athlete. Just an incredible player. Now, Joe Burrow threw 60 touchdowns. Insane. People in the NFL don't do that in more games. At the same time, Barry Sanders running for 40 is more impressive to me. <laughs> I got to give number one to Barry Sanders. Just, just to put this in perspective, Barry Sanders played less games. Had, he did have 20 less touchdowns, but he played, what, 13 games that year? Because they didn't have a conference championship in the Big 12? Uh, or I was that the 12. Big 8 at the time? I will say he played 12 games. Okay, the NFL record in a 16-game season is like 28. Right. 
that's that's how insane this is. And yes, the NFL defenses are a little bit better or a lot better, but you get the point, right? There, there's something to be drawn there. Ah, dude, Joe Burrow was outstanding. I just I can't do it. Barry Sanders has Barry Sanders not only has that record breaking year, absolute freak athlete. He's got the legacy behind him. Joe Burrow just is not there yet, and that's okay. Joe Burrow might get there. We get to see what, what the rest of what he's going to do and the mark he's going to leave on the game as a whole. I know we've tried to keep that out. I'm keeping the NFL out of this. Barry Sanders at the college level has left an absolute insane legacy, you know, at Oklahoma State and then across the board with all of college football. And ultimately, I'm going to give away Ben's pick here. Um, he said it best. Joe Burrow had the greatest quarterback season of all time. Barry Sanders had the greatest season of all time. Barry Sanders, number one for both of us. For all three of us, actually, which is, again, incredible. We agreed on all four of these guys. Unheard of. You know, and it feels a little bit anticlimactic. It feels like after some of the crazy conversations we had, the coin flip that we had to decide one round, I mean, it feels like the final four should be a bigger discussion than this, but at the same time, it's pretty hard to deny what Barry Sanders did. And then right behind him, number two is very obvious. Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield is a discussion for sure. I can understand there being some arguments made for Baker Mayfield, but watching Lamar Jackson play was something special. And, you know, special awards need to go to special Special people. So, Doug, I'm going to pass it to you. Bracket time is your baby. Sign us off one more time on the greatest Heisman winner bracket. This has been multiple months in the making. All the way from every single Heisman Trophy winner of all time. Man, this is a combination of Princeton guys, a couple of Yale guys on here. We got to interview General Pete Dawkins and a couple of Army guys on this list. Some incredible stories, some incredible football seasons, some incredible lives afterwards, and some just wonderful human beings on this list. To be in this group of men is beyond exceptional and we are down to our number one the greatest heisman trophy winner of all time running back for oklahoma state in 1988 barry sanders absolutely fantastic man i dude i love doing bracket time i really enjoy it but i think we're gonna need a week or two of a break to catch our breath, <laughs> yeah. think of where we're going next. Oh, dude, uh, we were so enthralled in this. I don't think we've actually talked about what's next, so I can't even give you guys a teaser. I mean, I have an idea, but you know, we're gonna we're gonna save it. We're gonna sit on it. Yeah, you won't have a bracket time from us next week. That's for sure. Maybe not the week after, but we will get back to them. It's kind of what we do around here. It also was perfect that we were able to make it work out. That you know. Today, as you're listening to this, will be the Heisman Trophy ceremony. It's coming down to a very different group of gentlemen than what we discussed today. Barry Sanders can't win it again. 
But uh, we're going to get to see Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, and Aiden Hutchinson up there. Uh, Kenny Pickett's up there, too, right? As the yes. semifinalists? Or the finalists, yeah, so, I guess it's the same now. Yeah, the, the four finalists were uh, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Kenny Pickett, and Aiden Hutchinson in that order, I do believe. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, congratulations to Bryce Young. Again, I said it up top, but... We all kind of know what it is at this point. He did win the Maxwell today as we're recording this. So, yeah. <laughs> is what it is. Um, he would not have made the final four, though, of this bracket. Uh, no. N- none, none of these <laughs> finalists would have. None of them had that. This is not a season where we actually have that standout guy. I, I know we're all confirmed on Bryce Young because it just that's how the season panned out has nothing to do with, you know, Hey, this guy was projected to be in the season and then just ran away with it. Kind of like Joe Burrow was back in, in uh, 2019, 20. Yeah. 2019. But Bryce Young probably is definitively the favorite going in. I'm interested to see how it turns out. Oh, dude. I don't think they, I honestly don't know if they would have gotten past round one, to be honest with you, any of these guys. That's probably pretty fair. I would say if C.J. Stroud dominated in the game like he did against Michigan State, he would have, but he didn't, so he didn't. (laughs) But but again, that's going to do it for our Heisman winners bracket. Uh, What a wild ride that was. Uh, That needs to be framed somewhere. (laughs) But that's going to do it for the show, man. Episode 105 in the books. Uh, we have some links if you want to get a hold of us. You can do so on Twitter at BDT Football, Instagram, BDT underscore football, Facebook, as you know, BDT Football, our website, BDTFootball.com, our email address, mailbox at BDTFootball.com. We also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash, you guessed it, BDT Football. All those links are in the podcast description as well. Make sure you hit them up and Talk to us. Talk to us about football. Sign up on Patreon. You get access to the Discord server, too, which, you know, just gives you an opportunity to talk about football with us. That's always something to consider. We we are waiting for you guys to join that. We really need we, – we, we're excited for it. Like, that, I love Discord for that reason. Uh, we will chat with you throughout the day. We will throw breaking news alerts on there. Um, we are literally just bros talking football. Uh, hell, if you get onto the Discord and start asking us for fantasy football advice, uh, we will probably give you it, uh, which includes do not trade for Chris Carson. Yeah, that's the only advice that Tug can give you. And, you know, I'm going to break <laughs> that rule every year. Just <laughs> is what it is. <laughs> all right, ladies and gentlemen, I believe that is all the time we have on the show today. Uh, I'm still riding the high from finishing this Heisman bracket, so I'm going to I'm going to sign off and. Uh, we go relax a little bit here. But just remember, you can't play a game.